What's up, what's up everyone? Welcome to another week of the GoLink Show. My name is Ben, the host and founder of GoLink. GoLink is a supportive community of growth junkies and life learners embracing weekly challenges. Each week we find a new way to level up and learn something new. So it could be a cold shower, waking up at 5 a.m., a kind act, taking yourself on a date, journaling, meditating, various fitness activities, and much more. These challenges are inspired by mission-driven brands that align with our values. So if you're crazy like me and you love to level up and you're always looking for ways to evolve and grow and step into your fullest potential, then GoLink is just for you. Join us every week on social media to participate in these weekly challenges. Embrace the challenge with me at GoLink Group. The GoLink Show, this podcast, recounts experiences from life enthusiasts with a unique perspective. So they could be a mother, a teacher, business owner, coach, entrepreneur, somebody with many years of experience, or someone just stepping into their arena. Wherever they are in life's journey, we all have a story to tell. So we delve into the struggles that we come across during our journey. How do we find the will to make it through? What role does failure play in our lives? What tools and lessons have we learned from those difficult experiences? Let's talk about the process and not just the result. We discuss this and much more in the show. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. Please welcome Jessica Sharp to this week's episode. She is someone who loves people, even when it's hard to. She's, she works for the YMCA, building programs to help our young people. She helps with fundraising, volunteering, and teaching. Just in that short intro, you already know she's a great person trying to make an impact on the world. She's earning her doctorate in psychology right now. And if you're in the southeast of the U.S., she'll be speaking at the Nest Fest October 19th and 20th about working with kids and their emotions. Super cool, super cool topics. Um, in this episode, we discuss how poverty affects the brain. We talk about privilege, race, mindfulness, and more. Like, you don't want to miss this conversation. I encourage you to keep an open mind. It doesn't mean you agree or disagree with everything. It can be an in-between, right? And just make you think about it and ponder on it for the next few hours or few days. So come in curious and try to learn something new. Like, again, it's poverty, it's poverty, privilege, politics, and race. Those are topics that we usually don't discuss on the show. However, I remain dedicated to um, engaging in these meaningful conversations. This isn't a discussion arguing conservative, liberal, or, er, or any other label or any other agenda. We talk about perspective, our experiences, and why it's happening and what we can do to improve the situation. So let's expand our minds and get educated. Let's go. Yo. All right, everyone, welcome to The Golding Show. Ms. Jessica Sharp, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for being here on a beautiful Sunday morning. I know. It finally feels like fall. <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah, it feels so good. It's like, what, 66, 67? I know. I'm like, can it just be this way forever and always? It won't be, but it's fine. I know. It's freaking bomb out here. I love it. But will you quickly describe? I'll give you, I already gave you an intro at the beginning yep. of the podcast. Yep. But I want to know not just what you do. I want to know, like, who you are, like, at the soul, at the heart. Like, oh, my who, gosh. Like, who yeah. are you? And, I mean, you know. I mean, we talked before. Yeah. I don't. And you're down for it. You're not just, like, for these for these questions. You know what's coming. I do. I do. So, <laughs> yeah. who am I at the soul of who I am? So, um, I feel like I should start this on a Sunday morning. So, I'm a woman <laughs> of faith. I'm a follower of Jesus. Um mm -hmm. And for me, what that looks like is that I try hard every day to love people. Um, 
and particularly loving people that are hard um, and loving people when it is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, what else about me? So everything I do really stems from that. So um, mm-hmm. I do a whole lot of things depending on the day I'm wearing different yeah. hats. But for me, everything that I do um, stems from this place of trying to make the world a better place and trying really, really hard to love people. Yeah. And for a fact, you do do that. And I've been impressed with what you do. Like, seriously, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Well, thank you. Um, and I love how you said you love people even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. What was the last experience that was hard to love someone? Oh, gosh, I have so many. <laughs> um, I will use my words carefully in case certain people are listening to the pod right now. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I had a work scenario um, that um, had a lot of different layers, had a lot of layers of complication, and I found myself being really frustrated with with the situation and how it was being handled and and my inclination was to say like i can't believe y'all are acting this way this is really how i feel Mm -hmm. but instead i thought wait stop let me back up for a second and try to see this from their perspective and try to understand holistically what is happening um and so i feel like loving people when it's hard is things like that right where it's our inclination is to to be frustrated to be angry um to be impatient and then we have to stop and say, well, wait a minute. Let me try not to do those things because there might be something more to this story. It's like, that's so easy to say. Yeah. But it, it really is like incredibly difficult to do. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sometimes <laughs> harder than others for sure. But yeah, it is. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. And part of what you do. So will you quickly describe your day job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So my day job, I work at the YMCA of Greenville. Mm-hmm. I love um, where I work. I love the type of work that I do. So um, I work at a branch that's considered a program branch. All that means is that we have offices, but everything we do is external to, to our offices, essentially. So we run programs for teenagers. One of them is a high school graduation program. Mm-hmm. The other one is a program where we are trying to teach young people about democracy, about um, civic engagement, about what it means to be a really mm-hmm. good citizen. So for those programs I do fundraising I do recruitment of volunteers of schools of partners Um, I run the high school graduation program because it's kind of like my baby Mm -hmm. Um, so I do all kinds of different things but at the core of what I do is trying to build and grow those programs yeah that's cool and how how did you get into that like how does someone growing up like want to do that because there are so many different obviously like careers and everything but I always admire people who their job is to help people because Mm -hmm. it's so easy just to think of like, this is how I'm going to progress in my career. And I know you've done lots of schooling and you're currently in school as well. Yeah. yeah. So like, how do you remember like, as you were, when you were a kid, like what was like the first instance of you being involved, wanting to help the community, wanting to help kids? Yeah. 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 So for me, I kind of stumbled into this work a little bit, both Mm -hmm. this actual job, but also having a job where I help people. So, um, the kind of, long slash short story is um, I have always kind of volunteered a little bit but never in like a significantly meaningful way until I went to college Um, and then it was just like part of what I did right so the way in which I engaged with extracurriculars at the collegiate level just happened to be service Mm -hmm. Um, and there there wasn't necessarily a lot of intentionality around that it just kind of is what happens Um, and through that I you know was like huh 
okay. And it was just like this little nugget, right? Um, and graduated college. And prior to that, my senior year, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, what was your undergrad degree? Yeah, marketing. So I was marketing. in the business school. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I taught. I did Teach for America um, because I thought, well, if I don't know what I want to do, let me impact let me help people let me impact the world at least in these two years and then I can do something different right um and through teaching um I kind of thought hmm maybe I should stick in this in in this realm of helping people um and really there was always this kind of like in the back of my brain I probably should have known this was always going to be what I did Mm -hmm. um my dad grew up in real crazy poverty in Alabama and I now am able to really conceptualize and articulate the, the fact that because he had experiences and were exposed to things that allowed him to create this life for me mm-hmm. and my brother, I'm like, well, of course I need to turn back around and help other people. Um, but for me, I kind of stumbled into having a career in the air quotes helping field yeah. because I just started doing it and I thought, I really like this and I want to keep doing it. Um, this program specifically, um, well, one of the programs that I work with, I did in high school. It's called Youth in Government. So I did it in high school and um, was a volunteer. And so that was more easy. That was easier in the sense of I did this program. I know this program. I want to work with this program specifically. Mm-hmm. But it was under the umbrella of I want to be in, in a world where I'm helping people be their best selves. Yeah, that's awesome. What has, even when you're helping someone be them their best selves, how do you focus on you at the same time to make sure you're your best self? So yeah. I believe like if you're not your best self, you can't help others be them best selves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I've been intentional for a set of years around what I say yes to mm-hmm. um, and my time. So I recognize that because of the life that I've chosen very uniquely, there will be times where I am real, real busy, right? And where self-care has to take a backseat to my schedule. But for me, I'm really intentional about crafting a whole life and a whole schedule, right? So I know that this life and this um, this stamina and this level of stuff that I do <laughs> will burn anybody out if you don't you know, mm-hmm. do some things for yourself. So I try to infuse self-care all the time, whenever I can, but recognizing that sometimes it will just be more and it will look more full than in other times. So like, for example, like I always get a massage once a month. Like that's just part of what I do. Right. Yeah, like I, love it. I sleep eight hours cause that's a necessary thing for me. Um, and you know, I, um, will try to like take a nap on a Saturday if I can, like this weekend I couldn't right? but last weekend I could. So just right. trying to like infuse things all the time into my world that are self care, taking care of myself, but then knowing that sometimes that's going to be able to be more right. So I may be able to say, I'm going to take a whole weekend where I am relaxing and I'm not doing a lot of things, but then the flip, there will be sometimes where it's less where I'm like, I'm in a two week period of real, real busy and I'm just going to have to grind and yeah. know that on the other side side of it I'm going to be able to rest and relax I don't you know there's this like myth of and I think millennials are really good about not necessarily believing this but like sleep when you die whatever uh-huh. I'm like that's not who I'm ever going to be you know yeah I think that perspective is key as far as you know it's temporary right however right. I think some people get caught that they say it's temporary but it's really not right right and then they look up and they're like and for me I think the really great thing is like my body is real clear about communicating to me, right? So, like, <laughs> if I went through a longer period than I wanted to of being, of going hard, essentially, my body would tell, would communicate to me, like, I would just be very, like, cranky and exhausted. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and, 
and I would, I'd almost have to force myself to stop. Um, and so I, I think it is really easy to just go, 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 go. Um, but I think you've got to infuse, even if you have to have some reminders, right? So like my iPhone background right now says breathe. Like I have mm. a meditation app that sends me like notifications sometimes like yeah. during the day. And like I have things like around my apartment that are like reminders to me to say like, whoa, whoa, wait, am I really taking care of myself right now? I like it. That's yeah. cool. Um, you know, I love like it's simple, but it really is effective to have those things around your apartment, right. to have it on your phone. Right. Because 95% of our time is subconscious. Oh, absolutely. So it doesn't mean you have to like recognize it, but just right. seeing that. It's there. Right. It's, it's just there. this constant And your brain's reminder. still taking it in. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so in addition to working for the, for the why, mm-hmm. you also, what would you call So on your own, mm-hmm. don't you, how do you help? I know. Yeah, so you I have know. Sharp Brain Consulting. Yep, yep. So let's yep. let's delve into that. So what is Sharp Brain yeah, Consulting? Yeah, yeah. So my business um, is really right, quite frankly similar to the work <laughs> I do at The Y. It's just yeah. a little different. Um, so I work with youth and adults who serve them, right? So that's the, the umbrella term. But what that practically looks like is that um, I work with, um, with schools, with nonprofits, with essentially adults who have, you know, made a, a concentrated effort to work with young people. Sometimes that does end up being parents who, mm-hmm. you know, they are surrounded by their kids all the time. Um, but I, when I work with adults, I'm doing a lot of training and teaching and saying here is how you can improve your work with these young people so um, the training I do all the time is how poverty impacts the brain so I'm going to teach young teach teachers you yeah. here's how poverty literally changes the brain and here's what you as a, as a teacher can do about it um, and then I do a little bit of work directly with young people I've got a few clients who will have me work with their young people directly um, in addition to training them so um, it is a lot of training and education and um, essentially what we call capacity building so increasing the capacity of organizations so that they are able to better serve the young people that they work with. Yeah, that's super cool. I love that. And for anyone who's a regular listener in this show, we've never really talked about poverty and how it affects the brain. But when we spoke earlier a couple months ago, that got me excited. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because that's not a common, yeah, we talk about leveling up your mindset or your physical or even anxiety and depression in this realm of self-development mm-hmm. but what about others and poverty because what we're discussing is a self-actualization right like if we're talking maslow's hierarchy of needs right right people yeah. can't even what's the first one yeah so your basic needs Just right basic if needs. i can't if i don't have food on the table i can't focus on anything yeah, else you can't focus on all right let's what's my dream right what's, Heck no. how am i going to enjoy life what right. are these vacations i want to go on right a nap on Saturday. Right. I can't you know? even, I can't, I've got a scarcity mindset, right? So all I can yeah. do is think about the thing that I am missing and the thing that is missing in my life. Yeah. So what are some just straight up brain busters of how poverty affects the brain? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you the, the high level of both how, how poverty and trauma impact the brain. And I'm okay. going to tell you that. And then I'm going to tell you why I included trauma. Love it. So um, for folks who have grown up in poverty, um, for folks who um, have lived in poverty during what we call really important developmental milestones, so like ages three to four, ages 12 to 13, um, 
the brain literally is changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so your amygdala is bigger. Those are just real fancy words of saying you are more, um, your brain is more on guard to threats from the environment. And is, right? is your amygdala in the back of your yes, brain? Yes, 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 Psychology, yes. Psychology, let's go. Yes, I remember. Yes, <laughs> it's the, sub, you know, the, yeah. the subconscious, unconscious part of our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also where fear very specifically lives in our brain. And so you are more likely to, to you know, have these things that are threats Hmm. that to us, like I may be sarcastic with you, right? Mm -hmm. But if your amygdala is bigger and more attuned to threats, that's going to feel so much more impactful than, you know, than what I felt like it would be, right? So the physical part of the brain is actually bigger. Yes. Yeah. Your amygdala is shaped like an almond. It's bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, Your prefrontal cortex, that's behind your forehead. Mm -hmm. It's the part of our brains that makes us adults. Um, That's the part of the brain that's responsible for what we call executive functioning. So things Mm -hmm. like planning, organizing, thinking into the future, um, that part of your brain essentially is less thick. Um, and so that means that you have a deficiency kind mm-hmm. of naturally in some of those skills. So in things like planning, organizing, that kind of thing. Um, and so the really, like, the good thing on the end of this is that the brain is malleable. It's plastic, so you yep. can change these things. But what that means is that folks who have lived in poverty and or folks who have experienced trauma, they literally show up in the world in a very different way, right? So I think that um, society, we make a lot of assumptions about folks who live in poverty. We make up a lot of yep. stories around folks who live in poverty. Um, and, you know, if I hear one more time, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, even though I don't have a boot on, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Which is not real, right? Because from a brain perspective, I am showing up in the world in a different way. Um, And the reason I added trauma is because there's a lot of research um, in this psychology youth development space um, that talks about how trauma, very similar to poverty, will follow you into adulthood. And so um, if you've got some time later, look up <laughs> ACEs, A-C-E-S. Um, they are these 10 averse childhood experiences that if you have, basically the more of them you have, um, you know, the longer they will follow you. And so you could be an adult and have had some really traumatic experiences as a child, but it's going to show up as an adult and, and it will impact how you show up as an adult. So I think that we um, don't give enough credit to how, poverty and trauma and some of these things developmentally Mm -hmm. I mean literally change how people show up in the world and change their ability to make decisions we don't we just don't think about it enough yeah that's crazy and to give you um, even more background you're getting is it your master's in psychology right now yeah so I'm or getting doc- a doctorate doctorate yeah, much yeah, better yeah yeah <laughs> I know my brother yeah. who's 10 is like can I call you doctorate then I'm like yes but yes. I cannot <laughs> diagnose you really at all other than maybe some uh-huh. psychological stuff <laughs> yeah that's awesome and so what are some like we talked about pick yourself up by your bootstraps right like and I'll be honest like I've had that same mindset mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, just because you don't know Right. Like I grew up completely fine. Like Mm -hmm. even in my neighborhood, I was definitely not as well off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we had to move a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, due to financial things. Mm -hmm. But I still, my friends were all wealthy. My, their parents took care of me. I always felt safe. Right. 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 And so like, what is another misconception about poverty? Yeah. 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 So, um, 
I think that there's um, there this, this misconception that it is easy to move out of poverty. So we are mm. sitting in Greenville, South Carolina, um, and it is harder here than anywhere in the state to essentially move out of poverty. It's this um, concept called economic mobility. It's particularly hard in the South. So there's that misconception that we've talked about. I think there's also the misconception that um, poor folks are lazy and that um, – I think there's also this misconception that poor people want to be poor. Um, you know, there's this like old like welfare queen um, concept and idea that we've had in our brain. Um, and the reality is, you know, I, I was never poor, right? My parents had me young, and so um, and so when I was younger, they were, you know, they were 18 and 20, so navigating that. Although, um, you know, even still, I, I don't remember any of that, and it yeah. wasn't. It, it could have been a lot worse, right? But very quickly, my dad moved up the income ladder. So I, I have no conception of even struggling for money. I mean, my life was incredibly privileged, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, in so many ways. Um, but from my work, both, you know, research and then also just working with folks who live in poverty, I can assure you poor folks are not lazy um, and they're working. Sometimes I feel like harder than at least me, both in terms of their jobs, right? So mm. uh, low-income folks are more likely, and this is research-backed, more likely to work in service industry jobs. I sit in an office all day, right? I mean, I might go and, and stand in front of a, a bunch of high school students for an hour and, you know, you know, physically be standing up and talking to them. But, I mean, most of my time, I'm mentally my brain is going, but I'm sitting in a desk, right? Yep. I mean – if I'm working at, I've got a friend who's a manager at a Waffle House. If I'm working at the Waffle House, y'all, my body is tired, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. it just is. So there's that. Um, there's just this idea of being lazy. It's not true. Um, but then also, right now, the way that, that public assistance essentially is set up, there's no scenario where folks really like want to sit around and be poor, right? Like um, there's, there's sometimes generational poverty will impact how you make decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So you may feel like this is all I can do. So I'm just going to be here. Right. But, but no one wakes up and says, I want to continue to be poor. I want to continue to have no control, no options, no ability to say, I want to go on vacation. We work, one of the students we, we worked with years ago, when you know we asked her like what kind of life do you want to have she's like i want to be able to have the kind of life where i can get a car outside of tax return time because her yes. family can only get a car at tax return time right mm -hmm. no one wants to have that kind of life where they have to struggle and say i don't really know how i'm going to pay my bills i have to work all the time i don't get to spend a lot of time with my kids you know if i have them you know, that's just not a thing that people sit around and want to mm -hmm. do right but but it is a narrative that's been created so of course we believe it mm -hmm. and for most people they are living in a bubble, right? And all of us, me included, my bubble just looks different, right? But we are living <laughs> yeah. in a bubble, I right? Like where you are interacting with the people who you work with and the people you live in a neighborhood with and, you know, your family, that kind of thing, right? For most of us, no, you know, this is not a bad thing. Most of us, like, our bubbles are pretty homogenous, right? Like, mm -hmm. they look like certain sets of people. Um, and... And so, of course, you're not sitting around and thinking about people who are different from you because you're I mean, that's just not your day to day. Right. Um, so my bubble just looks different. And I encourage people to try to expand their bubble because I find that when people start to have relationships with people who are different from them, that's when they say, huh, maybe I should start thinking about this thing or maybe I should change how I think about this. But it's really easy to make up. I mean, our brains love stories. We make up <laughs> yeah. stories about all kinds of stuff all the time. And if I don't have any relationship with anybody who's homeless or who's poor or who has a mental health issue or, you know, who's elderly, yeah, 
I, I'm gonna have a story that may or may not be true because I don't know mm. any. I don't know anybody. I know the story that my brain has created. You know. Yeah, I love that. Like expand your bubble. Um, so, my experience. So I'm doing you know this full time. Mm-hmm. However, I spent almost ten years in the financial industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, giving leases and giving loans. And so trust me, I've. I've seen that narrative right? and I've worked in right. collections. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's hard. And I always try to tell, you know, my employees like, look, we're only working with the f- bottom 15 to 20%. Right. You don't see the other people who are making payments and who this is helping. Right. Right. However, right. I want to talk about the employees because mm-hmm. a lot of the employees mm-hmm. in these industries, it's mm-hmm. not a service job, right. especially in collections. You make good hourly, you make great bonuses. Right. Right. However, they're still in bad. They're not in poor. It depends. They're probably at a minimum paycheck to paycheck. Oh, for sure. One or two things. And they are just they're They're done. Right. Yeah. So why? And even like I've noticed it, it seriously like hurts my heart, mm-hmm. especially when I moved here. I noticed a huge difference. Oh, yeah. When I moved because, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah, all, like the k- kids I managed, literally kids, even though, you know, I'm still a kid that <laughs> it was, you know, like. Y- younger 20s like white kids you know they're mm-hmm. going to school like that's how they're paying for school right so it's so admirable right that they're doing that mm-hmm. however when i moved here it's definitely an economic difference oh it's different yeah. and even health difference mm-hmm. and it like seriously like it hurt just like but they still make the same decisions mm-hmm. so how do we help or how how do we break that cycle because i can't make that decision for them and so Essentially, I'm just asking for help and challenging. Look, like I know they don't want to be there, mm-hmm. but how do we help them make different decisions to get out of that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the macro decision is a heck of a lot of policy change, right? But yeah. but um, that's not something that we're able to do, right? Um, because for <laughs> a lot of folks who are either poor or paycheck to paycheck, mm-hmm. they have um, they have literally a scarcity mindset. There's a great TED yes. talk that you can just Google to learn a little bit more about that. Um, but but what will help them change their um, decision making is money, right? But I think those of us that you know, you, me, your podcast listeners, I can't just mm-hmm. like say like let's change laws. You know, <laughs> I, I I don't have the ability to do that, yeah. right? Um, so what I find that can help folks who are either you know, paycheck to paycheck, living in poverty, that kind of thing, because ultimately money is the thing that will change it, are mm-hmm. the same things that you and I would need to be doing to be our best selves. So um, it, it really, it's funny, I mean, meditation and mindfulness, and and it's hard for all kinds of people to find time to mm-hmm. do that, but, but, but from a brain perspective, if my amygdala is bigger, and it is, um, it is just going, right, and I'm stressed out all the time, and I just, I, I'm sitting around trying to figure out how my, mm-hmm. you know, my check from, you know, whatever place is going to allow me to pay my bills yep. and all of that, if I am able to sit and, you know, do five minutes, three minutes of meditation, my brain is just a little bit more at its best, if you will, to make decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all kinds of other things like like programs and, you know, the United Way is a, I do a lot of work with them and they fund a lot of partners. Um, and so, you know, being able to, to better understand financial management and being able to better understand yeah. um, savings and, and, and those kind of programs certainly do help too, right? Because um, even if I am sitting around and being mindful and my brain is calm, if I don't have a basic understanding of financial literacy, that still is going to be a challenge for me. Right. So, so all of those things too, like, you know, 
programs and and you know and so if you are a listener and you're like how do i impact that find a nonprofit you care about and write them a check you know or find mm-hmm. a nonprofit that you feel like is doing this work and, and volunteer with them um but i think it's both money what's well, three things money right and then and programs to help educate folks but then also people being able to to empower themselves by yeah you know, given their brain the tools that they need to be able to sit and try to make, you know, decisions that are going to be good for them. And I, and that's what I am passionate about, right, is trying to help people help themselves mm-hmm. and not relying on anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like difficult. Man, like really, it has been difficult. Like I've sat, you know, like I've seen customers get literally 100 loans mm-hmm. with the same company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and I, I saw some dude, I remember I was in a location shadowing and mm-hmm. learning mm-hmm. and this dude came in and he refinanced his loan mm-hmm. for $80, mm-hmm. 80 bucks mm-hmm. to take his wife out for their anniversary. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's heartwarming. It's cute. And mm-hmm. there's probably some people like, oh man, like he mm-hmm. took his wife out, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. however, right. in my opinion, right. dude, right. you don't need this 80 bucks. Right. Right. Go buy something at the store for ten bucks. Right. For right. fifteen for twenty. Right. 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 And right. you know, make smarter decisions. Like what can we do? Like, yeah. Because at the end of the day, like I I beat myself up, but I can't help so I'm just I'm just lost, Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. how do I help? Yeah, people and I mean and I think and again I think the unfortunate reality mm-hmm. is like the there are so many macro level issues that the solutions are also macro level, right? Because mm-hmm. so for this guy he's like I can't control anything. My wife is probably, you know, struggling just like I am. We may Mm -hmm. have, you know, issues. You know, we probably have a lot of issues around finances. I'm not married. I've never been. But they always say that finances are the thing that married couples struggle with. So he's probably like, you know what? This is the one thing I can do for my wife. And this Mm -hmm. is the one thing that I can control. Right. So that's his mindset. But from a financial you know, perspective, you're like, oh, I don't want like, can't you just save this and do something with it later? But again, it's like the actual solution to that are things like him making more money. Well, at, at his job. Well, I, you know, then, then the, the question is like, well, how can he make more money? Is it lack of it? Or why does he make more money? Is it lack of education? Is it, you know, so I, I can get down a rabbit hole real quickly of like <laughs> the, the, yeah. the ways to solve these issues are, are both. Some of them are micro, right? Like a financial mm-hmm. literacy program, but a lot of them are macro, right? Like, I have freshmen who I work with who can barely read. Like, they're going to turn into the man who's in your office unless somebody intervenes, right? Yeah. And ultimately, I shouldn't have freshmen who can't read, right? Like, there are these bigger systemic so issues. Ninth graders. Yeah. Um, there are these bigger systemic issues, and it's things like workforce development and things like, um, again, like financial literacy programs. It's, you know, because ultimately for him, the thing that would solve his problems are more money on the long term. Not a, a short term here and there, but like exactly. him making more money. Right. But how does that happen? It's not as simple as like, let me just write you a check or let me, you know, give you a raise because you deserve one. Right. It's so. So I think the unfortunate reality is like you are going to sit where I sit all the time where there are so many times I'm like, there are all of these things I want to do and I want to fix, but I can't right now because so many of them are these systems levels issues. So for me, I'm like, okay, well, for now, I'm going to do what I can. And eventually maybe try to change systems, right? Um, But I think you and I are sitting in the places where a whole lot of people are sitting where it's like, what actually is the solution? 
and you feel helpless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the solution is is multiple things. It is it is macro level things. Because the reality is, one thing didn't get him to the place where he's coming to you, right? Yes. Multiple things did. So multiple things need to be impacted. But from you, us sitting here, you know, in you know, in Greenville, South Carolina, the two of us, like. What are we going to do? So I think it's I think it's a lot of, you know, there are all of these macro level issues. And, um, you know, and I think it it there are things you can do. Right. Like start to educate yourself on these issues like what you've already done. Right. Mm-hmm. But get involved either in, in politics, even if that means like voting regularly. Right. Mm-hmm. Like next on Tuesday, which is in two days from now. So it would have certainly passed by the time you all hear this. But mm-hmm. National Voter Registration Day, like make sure you register to vote right and and be aware of folks policies around issues that you care about or volunteer for a nonprofit that is helping folks like this right mm-hmm. like united ministries is in Greenville, and you know um and they're doing great things so google nonprofits that you know so i think there are until you can change micro macro things do the micro things that you can do yeah. which is going to be things like volunteering at a nonprofit that is helping folks who are you know unable to pay their bills and are financing you know their anniversary trip yeah and i think it would i think i like to think it would be simple but it's just not no and it's and i hate it lord knows i wish it was simple (laughs) i would work myself out of a job which i'd be happy about you know Ooh, i like that work yourself out of yeah i'd be happy to work myself out of a job okay do you think we'll ever improve like our poverty do you think it'll ever Okay, so you say yes, but do you think it'll ever disappear? No. Um, I think we can improve. I, I hope so. I really hope mm-hmm. that things will improve. Will it ever go away now? Um, uh, because people will always be poor just by definition, right? Like if I if if somebody makes a hundred grand and I make ten, right, I will always be on the bottom. But There's always a bell I curve. think right. But poverty is a little different, I think, in the sense of like I, I, for some reason, I think of poverty more macro level and, and bigger. And, and, and I think, I think we will always have poverty. And, and again, I wish that, that this was different, but I just think it goes back to this conversation we just had. There are so many systems levels, system level things that would need to be changed that I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we would have to, I mean, cause I think about, I work with young people, Right. We would need to do things like universal 4K. We would need to do things like... What's that, 4K? Universal 4K. So 4K available to every young person who needs it, right? We would need to to do things like pay teachers more. We would need to do things like, um, like, you know, having... working with young people to to start changing the narrative around college right we keep saying four-year college i got a whole lot of kids with four-year college isn't for them and here's the thing y'all i'm gonna need a plumber till the end of time and we don't have enough of them um so they're just Mm. there's so many things that need to change and we and and right now and and i'm certainly into politics right i have a program called youth and government that i run um and and until we're able to sit like you and I are sitting and, mm-hmm. and Democrats and Republicans and liberals and conservatives, because we, we love a label, you know, unless <laughs> we're able to sit across the table and say, can we just sit and talk and try to figure out how to solve these issues? And we're going we're gonna to work together and it's okay if we disagree, but we're going to work together until we mm-hmm. can get to that place. I think that's part of it. But it, I, this is such a longer answer than I intended it to be. <laughs> no, okay. But essentially, I think we will always have poverty. Hmm. And I think... 
and um I'll just say the thing that I think yeah, um, I probably Go make people it. angry with <laughs> at least a third of the things I say, um, particularly in the South. I'm a Southern girl. Um, mm-hmm. I will be in the South probably forever and always. Um, I'm from Alabama and I live in South Carolina. Um, until we start to be able to be um, comfortable with the uncomfortableness of talking about race, we will always have poverty because mm-hmm. we have poverty because folks don't have enough money. Yeah. And money and race are not always in, intersected. Mm-hmm. But when we look at the data around the South, it is clear that 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 our folks of color are ex- having very different outcomes with every single system, criminal justice, healthcare, as you mentioned, education. And we're not ready to have a conversation about race. And so until we have that conversation, we certainly can't get to a place where we're able um, to have poor folks, mm. but not people who are in poverty. Well, let's talk about it. Me and you. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> um so there's a lot of people for sure listening. Mm-hmm. They might have a slight idea, but I, I'm going to make an assumption that most of them don't. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have a wide knowledge of this topic. Mm-hmm. So can you just give some like stats behind? So people of color yeah. are more disadvantaged and yeah. poor. Yeah. So there are, I mean... The data is just, oh, my God, y'all, it's so alarming. So I'll give you just, like, some high level. Yeah. Um, so it, in the South specifically, and I know you probably got listeners all over, mm-hmm. um, that's just, like, what I know. Um, it, it, folks of color are more likely to be poor, right, at these, like, at, at rates that don't make sense. But the data that is more alarming is data like this that I'm going to tell you um, is – there, the the rate of folks of color in um, in prisons and jails doesn't make sense, right? So when you look at, so at least in, in Greenville where we are, about thirty percent of people are black. Like if you you know, but if you go to the prisons and jails in this in this state, the rate of people who are black and brown is way more than thirty percent, right? I mean, it is just alarmingly high. And so we can make a, an argument that that black folks um, engage in criminal behavior more often than not. Mm-hmm. The data will also say that's not true, right? But even if that were true, we need to figure out why, right? Like, for example, um, you've got um, more black and brown pro- folks in jail for, um, like, marijuana. I know white folks are smoking weed at the same rate, <laughs> right? I know them, um, you know. There's no shame yeah. here, but I know them. Yeah. Um, um, and then there's, like, this narrative around crack versus cocaine, mm. right? Like, um, so there's, you know, the criminal justice system is one system where, Black folks are just one thousand percent having a different, having are just having a different level of interactions, and the criminal justice system is. Um, I used to say it's broken. It is operating the way it is set up to operate. It's essentially once you are in the system, you're never out. There are documentaries and podcasts, and if you want to know any more about this, Thirteenth, it's a great Netflix podcast. A great Netflix documentary changed how I looked at all of this. Mm. Um, the New Jim Crow is a great book about this work. Um, again, changed how I viewed all of this. Um, but essentially, people are just—it's very cyclical because we because of how we when people leave. So there's that system. Um, the education system, again, you know, when I look at the young people I work with and I look at data, black students are further behind than their white peers. Um, there's this um, movement around talking about the criminalization of black girls very specifically. Huh. Um, so what that means is that um, black girls very specifically um, are get in trouble and get um, disciplined at higher rates than their white peers, even when you account for things like socioeconomic factor and those kinds of things. Um, When you look at the healthcare system, I used to work at the big healthcare system in town. Same thing is true. 
when you dig into data, black folks and Hispanic folks um, are having different interactions with the healthcare system. So that means that like their physicians are having different interactions with them, even when physicians like literally to their core believe that they're treating their patients all the same. And they really, really believe that. And then they're having different outcomes. Um, the fetal, like the maternal mortality rate in the U S yeah. for black women is worse than some third world countries. Even when you account again for socioeconomic status, like there's Serena tells this story about how like Serena flipping Williams, y'all like queen yeah. <laughs> tells a story about how she was like, um, y'all need to check some stuff. I don't, I feel like this is not like this whole process here. It's not great. And they wouldn't listen to her until her husband, um, who happens to be white was like, um, check my wife. So, I mean, and, and the data, I mean, even when you when you account for for these factors and, and when you say, OK, let's take out socioeconomic status. Let's look at look. I mean, it's the data is just really clear that like something is is going on it's here. Different. Exactly. That we're just not paying attention to. That's crazy because it's from like police and prison. I mean, start with police. Exactly. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, right. But to healthcare, mm-hmm. to education, mm-hmm. to like um like Serena right. Williams. Right. I know. I mean, it's, you know, and again, yeah. you know, those are, you know, I, I've given you some, you know, because I, I'm going to be real honest with you. Like I'm a person yeah. of color. I'm a black woman. But for years, because my life was so privileged, I mean, I grew up in white neighborhoods. My schools were predominantly white. I mean, I did not, I mean, I a thousand percent did not understand how much race played into things. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Like I, I assumed the narrative that a lot of people believed. I really, really did. And I believe that, like, if you worked hard and you got an education, you were going to be fine. I believed it to my core. And then I started doing the work that I'm doing, and I started doing research and things like 13th, like the new Jim Crow, like um, Brian Stevenson is this lawyer who is so amazing. I can't stand it. His work. (laughs) Like, I just started digging into stuff and saying, like, this, no, something is not right here. Like, something is actually people are having different interactions so with what systems. Is well, it's race. So it's, um, it is at its core, it's unconscious bias, right? So, mm-hmm. um, we have biases because we have brains. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, it's just a function of the brain, yeah. right? Um, which I can go into more depth in, but it, it's just a function of the brain, but biases come from somewhere, right? So they come from both our interactions, but also like the narratives that we believe in and the content we consume. So things like TV, news, that kind of thing. And so the narratives that we believe specifically around black men are not positive. Like if you think about TV shows that you watch, either there probably aren't a lot of black men or they may or may not be positive images. Lord knows that if you turn on the news, the images you have of black men yeah. are not particularly positive. And so there is just this narrative that collectively we believe that black men are not safe. Um, and, 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 and the data is, is real clear in the education system. The department of education has done research on this like every year. Um, but, but if that's what we believe, then that, that shows up in how we interact with folks. Um, and, and so there's, you know, we just have these beliefs and these narratives around people of color. Like, I mean, we have a lot of beliefs around Hispanic folks and, and um, those beliefs are only getting stronger, I think, hmm. now. Um, and so we just have these stories that we believe. And so that impacts how we interact with people. And, and, it, and when you look at systems and people in power, the people in power do tend still to be overwhelmingly white For men. Sure. And, and again, if my bubble, if I'm white man and my bubble is white men, and the only thing that I know about people of color is, is this narrative that I believe well, yeah, I'm going to interact in a way that may not be empowering to these groups of people, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm going to sit around and believe that 
Hispanic folks and black people are not that that they are doing whatever the news and um, politicians tell me that they do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's just and, and we, we won't talk about race. Right. Like We're just not comfortable talking about race and that and that we had this system of slavery. And then after that, we had a whole lot of other systems yeah. that I mean, and and, and I, to my core, I believe most people are really, really good. Like, mm-hmm. I really do. But the reality is systems post-slavery that were created were created to continue to oppress people and continue to allow the people who were in power and in control to continue to be in power and yeah. in control, i.e. the criminal justice system, right? Like, if you... Uh, the way that we treat mm-hmm. people in prisons and jails, y'all, is... Uh, it's crazy. And, pe- and and the narrative that I hear is like, well, they're criminals, right? N- probably 80 some odd percent of the people in prisons and jails are getting out and so their life in prison is not setting them up to get out and be a citizen and and be your neighbor right you said 80 percent of the people in prisons are getting out and i may be wrong on that number but like it's high it's real high i mean most people in prison are getting out like i mean the only people really in prison who are not getting out are people who've done like multiple murders and most people in prison their sentences are such where at some point they are going to get out and they will be your neighbor right or they will live in your town and so it behooves us to create situations in prisons where we are setting up folks to come out and to be able to be, you know, a good citizen as I'm teaching my young people to be, as opposed to continue to engage in activity that um, is destructive to communities and gets them back into prison jails. Cause right now, I mean, we literally, we drop them off. We give them, you know, sometimes depending on the prison or the system, you give them a bus ticket. Sometimes you don't, you give them you know, 20, 30 bucks and then say, go bye. That's it. I mean, we don't, I mean, we give them nothing and we have, you know, at, for however long they've been in prison from a year to 30 years, we have controlled every single thing about their life from when they wake up to when they go to sleep to when they eat and what they eat. Mm-hmm. And then we say, here's some money, go. And we expect them to not engage in behaviors that got them in here in the first place. When we've controlled them, we haven't given them any sort of autonomy and we certainly don't give them any resources to go back into your neighborhood. That's crazy. So you mentioned earlier you grew up with a privileged life. Mm-hmm. So what does privilege mean to you? Yeah. So for me, it meant um, it, it's beyond I never had to worry about anything. Like, I, I mean, I got a car. I got a brand new car at 15. Um, I, I lived in a house that my parents built. Um, I could do every single after school club and thing I wanted to. And I never had to worry about can my parents afford for me to do cheerleading and youth and government and whatever. I mean, I went through this period of time in like middle school where I did like all different kinds of sports. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I want to do <laughs> tennis. I want to do this. I want to mm-hmm. do that. Right. Um, we went on vacations every year. Um, I, I mean, I, there was never in terms of money, a thing I ever, ever had to worry about ever. Like I, I worked, but it was literally cause I got tired of asking my parents for like, mm-hmm money to go to the mall with my friends on the weekends right like I mean there was never a thing financially I had to worry about like including things like getting a car to doing things like I mean I knew I could cheer and do you know another thing and I could you know and I knew we would go on vacation every year and so financially my life was easy my parents paved a path for me they both are college educated and and all I had to do was follow their path and I knew I'd go to college I mean from birth I knew I would go to college Mm. right like I just was like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I didn't have to worry about paying for college. My parents were able to help me fill out my FAFSA. Like, I mean, there those types of barriers, I had none of them. Okay. And I think 
I'll be speaking for myself, mm-hmm. and I assume other people are the same. When we talk about privilege, we feel guilty, especially as a white person. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. like, oh, like I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't do anything to get in this situation. But it just it's an uncomfortable topic. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So how do we like so yeah, I think conversations like this help, but how do we like if a white person is listening mm-hmm. and they're like, Well it's not my fault, I'm yeah. privileged. Yeah. Yeah. What do what do we say? Yeah, so yeah, heck yeah, you're right. Right? It's not your <laughs> fault, it's not your I mean, yeah. I didn't ask for these parents. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask for parents who made my I mean, who laid a foundation for me that y'all financially was easy as heck. I didn't ask for that. Right. My you know, my dad didn't ask to be born into a family that was so poor that he had the flip of what I had. Right. You didn't ask Mm -hmm. to be white. I have a friend who's in my cohort at school. We have these conversations all the time Mm -hmm. um, where he's like, you know, where we have literally essentially the same conversation. He's like, I didn't ask for this. Right. So that's the thing about privilege. It is unearned. It is not, it's not a thing that you, that you had to get, right? So acknowledging that off the front end and just acknowledging like, yeah, I didn't ask for this, right? Just like, I didn't ask to be black. I didn't ask to be a woman. I didn't, right? Just be safe. So just from gate acknowledge, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is where we are. But then I think from there, being able to recognize that like, you having privilege isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It, it for me, it meant my life was real easy, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And 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 that's fine, right? Like it just is what it is. But I think if we can just get to a place where we can just acknowledge, like, yep, some people have privilege and some people don't, and then from there, what I think matters the most is how you use your privilege, right? And 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 some people are just never going to be the kind of people who 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 um spend their lives helping others and and again that's sure. fine like i i don't i don't expect everybody to do that right but but you know if you are a white person and you're like, I don't know what to do with this privilege, right? I don't know what to do with it. First is acknowledge it and say, yep, I'm a white person and that means that I have privilege, right? That means that when I walk into a store, people are not going to look and follow me, right? That means that when I get pulled over, I don't have to worry. That means that when I was growing up, my mom did not have to have a conversation with me about what happens when you get pulled over, right? That means that statistically speaking, I am more likely to not have negative interactions with systems, right? You know, so just acknowledge it and to say, yep, I get it. Okay. Right. Um, and things like these resources I've shared with you, I think will help you acknowledge it and mm-hmm. then just decide to, what to do with it. And for you, you may that acknowledging it may be enough. And, and instead of saying, well, I didn't ask for this saying like, yeah, I get it. As a white person, there are different things that I experience. right? That may be where you, where the sentence ends for you. But you can also say, well, as a white person, I recognize that I have privilege and I have a lot of folks that I talk to who are in this camp who are like, so because I have privilege as a white person, I am going to talk to my white friends and have this same conversation with them because I can guarantee you, me as a black woman mm-hmm. having a conversation with, with white folks will be different than my white friend having a conversation with their white friends, right? So at a minimum, acknowledge it and just be okay with it. And then, and at a minimum, and then potentially more, just decide what you do with that, right? Like decide if that means that you have conversations that you advocate for folks that when you're sitting in meetings at work and you feel like, why in the heck is everybody in this room a white man that you say, um, who is missing from this table, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think about um, Sarah Blake, um, Sarah 
Blakely, who is um, who is the founder of Spanx, who I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with. <laughs> and the reason why Spanx didn't exist is because a bunch of men were making decisions about women's clothes. So, of course, they weren't thinking about Spanx, you know, <laughs> until mm-hmm. somebody was like, hmm, I need this thing. So. Mm-hmm. I, I think you can use your privilege in a lot of ways, but at a minimum, like let's just acknowledge it and call it what it is, um, and then decide what what else that looks like. So for me, because I have a privilege financially, it means that I donate to a lot of organizations, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay my bills, um, and I don't have to worry about you know, you know, and I, and I, my, I mean, I am on my own now. But like I don't have a lot of debt, right? Because of my parents, so that means that I donate to organizations, right? That's how I use that financial privilege. So mm-hmm. just decide what you want to do with it you know no that makes sense and i had a question because i think i told you this last time we talked Mm -hmm. that i worry like i totally agree with what you're saying but one of my worries is telling people it's not their fault Mm -hmm. because it isn't like it isn't their fault Mm -hmm. not not regarding privilege i'm going back to like poverty or Mm -hmm. this mindset like i'm worried about people having like a victim mindset Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Versus like taking ownership. Right. And right. Because like there's I think there's the balance of, you know, like you can do it, get off your butt and make it happen. Yeah. But obviously like, it's a lot easier for me mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. it than mm-hmm. someone else in a, in a poverty situation. Right. right. So what are your thoughts around of like, hey, you can change it, like instilling that belief. Cause right. I really want people to believe you can. It might mm-hmm. look different. Right. right. So I think I think so many things right I think one being acknowledging that it may look different right so like my dad um his path looked different he was not able to just go to college go to class graduate in four years and everything great he had to go to college and he had to work to send money back to his mom she didn't have any right so his path just looked different right Mm -hmm. so I think about like the young people I work with um like for me like I knew I was going to four-year college for them the path may be you're going to graduate and go to Greenville Tech but then you're immediately going to get a job and make money and be happy right so I think it's multiple things I think it's one um, not necessarily again saying like it's not your fault because the reality is like if I'm a teenager and I'm poor that didn't have any like that is not my fault like I really it's not mm-hmm. but using language like this is where we are right like this is the situation right you are living in this type of you know you are a teenager and your parents you know don't make enough money to mm-hmm. you know for to cover whatever right so just like acknowledging and saying whether this is a great situation a crappy one anywhere between this is just where we are right but how do we move forward how do we go from point a to point b recognizing that point b will be specific for you it'll be different for you than me right so point b for some of my kids may mean that they're going to be a welder but they're going to make 60 grand when they graduate or when they're done and they're going to be able to have a life where they craft it and they're happy and proud of it right but i may have another kid who point b for them means they're going to they're going to graduate from stanford and have a job where they start off make one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year right so i think it's articulating and crafting what do you what's next right what's point b what what's next one three five years and how can you now set the path and set steps to get from from here to here, right? So I think it is. it doesn't have to be, woe is me and my life is hard, right? Because if my dad had done that, he would still be in Pritchard and so would I, yep. right? Um, so I think it's like, yes, this, this situation sucks, right? And depending on who I'm talking to, I may use different words. <laughs> but like, yeah. but this is where we are. So how do we move forward? Like, how do we get to a point where, you know, where you're able to do X, Y, Z thing, right? So just acknowledging it, calling it what it is, but then saying, let's turn a corner and what are the steps? And, and, and sometimes it is going to mean 
I can do this all by myself. But sometimes it does just mean I need help, right? Everybody needs people, right? Mm-hmm. So it may mean, like, for my young people, they may need to have a tutor, right? Or it may mean, you know, um, I need, you know, it may, like, for me, like, point point B for me, hypothetically, was, like, I wanted to go back to school. So I needed to take out a loan to get my master's. I needed to take out a loan to get my doctorate, right? So I think it's, you know, acknowledging where things are, but then saying how do we shift and how do we get – to anything that's kind of a better next step. Mm, I like that. Um, Well, we're getting close to wrapping up, but I want to ask this question. Do you think society is the best place that it's ever been? I think about this um, a lot. Um, I think on a macro level, yes. Um, I, I think... I think I think on a high level on macro level yes right I think the fact that I as a black woman can do half the things I say say half the things I say <laughs> um yeah. I wouldn't have been able to say these things or do these things years mm-hmm. ago right so I think there's that I think there's um there is opportunity um even if some people have a much harder time getting to it right so um I think about Hamilton and and the Skylar sister song and how lucky we are to be alive right now right but in some micro ways, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think from a division, from a stories we make up about people, um, I think, I think that that's really, I'm sure it's been worse before, but I just think the way that we feel about people who are different from us right now, and it tends to be very like political, right? Um, and, and because we're able to sit behind a screen and type on Facebook, we're able to say really awful things, right? I think that may be not the best place mm-hmm. we've ever been in from that regard, but I think on a macro level, yes, I do. Yeah, and that's the same thing that I believe, that it's just on a macro level, the world is definitely, in America, right. is right. definitely the best it's been. right. Right. Like objectively, like as far as you look at the diseases. Or right. Right. Like the convenience and comfort. But of course, there's still issues. Right. And those, you know, I think that they're you know, like those things that are like, I think from that perspective and that probably is perspective exclusively. I think we are probably worse off than we've ever been. But on a macro level, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Like we are in a place that um, that is great and that um, and that I think you know, there, we can do a lot with what we have. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, cool. All right. So I have a segment in my show that's called scroll my soul. Scroll my soul. <laughs> there I we love go. it. And what that means is I keep a running list. So you saw me scrolling through my computer yeah. of whether it's podcasts, conversations, uh, documentaries, I keep a running list of things like, Oh, I like that idea. Or I like that quote. Yeah. And then I scroll through, I randomly stop and I read it to you. Okay. And then I like just, what's your experience it, oh, with it? I love it, this so much. Like, okay. <laughs> like, what does it make you think of? Okay, go. All right. The saying is of what I stopped on. Sometimes we need to go through the worst to become our best. Sometimes we need to go through our worst or the worst to become our best. Yeah, yeah. I like it a lot. So um, it makes me think of, um, oh gosh, I like this a lot. So it makes me think of like, when you have fallen or when you've gone through this thing that just feels so, 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 so hard, you 1000% will be stronger on the other end because now you've done the thing that you never thought you would be able mm-hmm. to go through. Right. Um, and so whatever that thing is, right. So whether that's depression, anxiety, whether that's a divorce, a, a, a cancer diagnosis, a whatever, once you've gone through that really hard thing, 
like one you know that there's like nothing that you can't do um but two like you're able to look back and say like I did that thing mm-hmm. that was really hard right um so yeah that's I, I think I think for me I think that can be a really empowering thing to say like you know like I'm going through I went through this real hard thing but like and it felt like it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me but I'm gonna be okay because I, I, mm-hmm. I went through this thing and I know whatever comes on the other side I'm gonna be okay yeah right you made it through yeah so, yeah I like it okay awesome and what about what are your last words from your mind body soul whether it's someone you know privileged or in poverty what message would you give to people to just go forward well actually no let's do this what's one thing that people people can do to make a difference let's do that like what's one small thing that they can do this week to make a difference yeah so the one small thing that people can do and 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 it doesn't may it may or may not make sense in regard to everything else I've said, but like legit five minutes of mindfulness every day, mm-hmm. because it will allow you to um, to show up in every conversation in every um, in everything that you do in a more holistic way and in a way where your brain is able to just utilize itself at, at its best. Right. So five minutes of mindfulness and meditation, um, every day, I've got lots of other things I want to tell you, but I've been <laughs> noodling on this. I'm like, I think that's the thing because mm-hmm. it, it allows you to, to show up in hard conversations. It allows you to, to anything that you're like, Oh, I don't want to do, or just, you know, random day to day, you're able to say like, okay, I'm, my brain is at its best. So let, let me have this conversation. Let me do mm-hmm. this thing. Let me. Um, and, and I know for me, um, when I'm engaging in mindfulness at the start of my day, for me, it's different for everybody. But when I do it at the start of my day, I find that I'm more mindful the rest of the day. So like when I'm at a stoplight, instead of picking up my phone, I'm looking around and like just taking in the, the scene. Right. Yeah. What, what's going on here? Right. <laughs> so starting off your day yeah. with five minutes um, and then have to be at the start of your day. I think it's better than but starting off your day with five minutes of mindfulness and meditation, you know, engage in whichever of those make the most sense um, and then try to carry that through the rest of the day. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And. I appreciate you having these conversations. I know you have it a lot, but I think other people listening, mm-hmm. that could be another thing you do is just have these conversations. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have them, have them. I mean, and if you want to test it out, have them with me. I mean, I'm on all the social media <laughs> yeah. channels except for Snapchat because I don't know, but tweet me, Instagram me, mm. um, send me a Facebook message. I mean, I'm happy to have coffee have a phone call have mm. these conversations and you know with you so you can practice them before you have them with other folks yeah i love that and i'll link everything um in the show notes but what is your handle yeah so it's sharp j-e-s on instagram and um twitter and then it's just my full name jessica sharp um no e sharp like a pencil on facebook hey, i like it for real well like i'm stoked for you for like the work that you're doing yeah a lot thanks, of you too. a lot of people don't excuse me geez um don't do what you're doing and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that like you said like everyone has to do it yeah but it's not easy what you're doing and it's stressful and it like when you see people in poverty it's easier to not think about it mm-hmm. but you're more than thinking about it you're like in it you're yeah. looking at it in its freaking face yeah so thank you for doing that well thank you thanks for letting me chat about all the things that fire me up <laughs> you know it 
And then you'll be October 19th and 20th. You'll be at the Nest Fest. Yes, right? come to the Nest Fest in Greenville. <laughs> um, I will be talking. It'll be primarily um, parent and kid focused since that's what I do. Um, mm-hmm. I'll have some sessions around um, working with your your child through play and kind of being able to have conversations about emotions through play. Um, and then so talking cool. about self-care as a mama. But even if you're not a mom, um, just come hang out with me. Those are such cool topics. Self-care as a mom yeah. and teaching kids. What was the last one? To teaching p- kids how to communicate about their emotions through play. That's so cool. Like, man, I love that crap. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm going to be there. Yeah. Hey, that's awesome. awesome. Well, Jess, thank you. Thanks. Uh, this is awesome. Yeah. Adios. This is great. Bye. Alrighty, my friends. I hope you enjoyed that wonderful interview with Jess. And I hope you learned something new and you, or you just heard something new and it made you think. And this week's challenge, what she just mentioned, is mindfulness. So we want you to practice five minutes of mindfulness each day. So this week's challenge, inspired by Jess and inspired by her company, Sharp Brain Consulting, whether it's meditating, journaling, or five quiet minutes, mindfulness helps bring awareness and perspective to our life. So mindfulness helps us make informed decisions. So instead of reacting out of fear or other emotions, we can take the right direction we wish that we wish to with a quiet mind. So five minutes of mindfulness each day, just meditating, journaling, five quiet minutes, breathing, whatever it is, just five minutes, everyone can do that. So there are a few ways you can report back once you complete the challenge, and we love to hear from everyone. We love to hear from you. You can post on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter using hashtag Goaling Challenge. You can tag us in your stories. Those are most people's favorite way to interact is you tag me and Jess, when you're doing your five minutes of mindfulness, we love to hear from you. Or you can use the Golink hotline. So the hotline is designed for those who want to remain anonymous or you don't have social media, but you still desire a form of accountability. So to use the hotline, call 385-626-0525 and follow the instructions. Thank you for tuning in for another week. I really, really appreciate you. And if you love this episode, if you enjoyed it, please leave a review. It means the world. That's how this um, gets noticed. That's how we get it out there. So share it with a friend, leave a review. I really appreciate it. And remember, if it's anyone, it's you. And if it's anytime, it's now. My name is Ben. I love you. Follow me at Golink Group and all the social media things. Have an awesome week.